please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to look at the end of the book of Hebrews today, verses 20 through 25. Uh, This concludes um, our series on the book of Hebrews today. We've been studying Hebrews for many months now, and uh, we'll conclude this in the next couple of weeks. We'll look at Thanksgiving uh, and then turn our attention to Christmas. Uh, You can find this in your pew Bibles on page 1,286. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning with verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Father, we thank you for this word, and we pray that you would Use it in a powerful way today to bless us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple weeks ago when I was preaching, I mentioned the advice given by Einstein on a a piece of stationery from a hotel. He scribbled it on there uh, years ago and uh, sold at auction for $1.3 million. And uh, just over a week ago, uh, there was another auction, and In this auction, the artist, musician, guitarist, Prince, uh, who passed away in April, had one of his guitars auctioned off, and they thought it might go for maybe $60,000, and when the dust settled, it went for $700,000, and uh, we do love our uh, celebrities, don't we? Um, Now, he didn't write his advice on his guitar, uh, but back in 1984, Prince... Uh, released a song. He wrote a song where he actually began the song with preaching. He, he took a preacher's mode and he spoke uh, this word at the beginning of the song. He said, Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Life. It's an electric word and uh, it means forever. And forever is a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you there's something else. The afterworld, a place of never-ending happiness where you can see the sunshine both day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, doctor, everything will be all right. You'd say to him, instead of saying, how much time do I have left, say, how much of my mind? Because this world is much harder than the afterworld. In this world... You're on your own. All right, time for the benediction. Everybody encouraged we can go home, right? Now, it's interesting um, that Prince got it right on a number of fronts. And we found in the book of Hebrews uh, that what he says about the afterworld is true. There is an afterworld. There is a land. There is a city. There is a country uh, we look forward to. We hear... Uh, For instance, Hebrews 11.10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, uh, and it is a better country. 
Hebrews 11:16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And we put our faith in Jesus Christ in part because we know that Jesus is the, is the best. He's the one that enables us to experience that better city, that better country we look forward to, where there will be no more tears. And he is the only way. Uh, he is the best uh, word. He is the best prophet. He's the best priest. He's the best sacrifice. He's the best one because he is the one that through faith in him brings us into relationship with God from all eternity. And so we look, we look forward to that uh, city. And it's interesting as we conclude today, we're going to be looking at a benediction. So it is time for the benediction uh, as we unpack the benediction that's given to us at the Book of, at the end of the book of Hebrews. The benediction is a good word. It is a proclamation of what God has done, will do, is doing in your life right now. And so the message of Hebrews is life in our present city is much harder than the eternal one. But the message of Hebrews is that in this life, you are most definitely not on your own. And so we start by looking at verse 20. We naturally, when we come into this world, uh, have no reason to believe uh, that we will experience anything but loneliness uh, because we are at enmity, the Bible says, with God, that we are the enemies of God, uh, that we live in hostility to God. Um, This past couple of weeks uh, in the news, uh, we've heard about sexual harassment, and how people are indignant over that. Um, And so we have, uh, in our general culture, things that are um, off-limits, are wrong, that people get incensed over. I heard a sermon uh, just this past week. I was listening to a sermon, and um, the preacher was talking about how uh, in the Bible, uh, sexual immorality in in some of the places where the the Bible uh, condemns sexual immorality, it also condemns greed. And oftentimes we don't, uh, we don't face um, our own sin uh, with the same um, sense of uh, in being incensed as we do other sins. Our sin, not so bad. Other sin, really bad. Um, and the Bible says that the worst part about sin is its evidence of rebellion against God. The Bible says in the book of Romans that God has written on all of our hearts a sense of right and wrong, and it comes from a knowledge that there is a God and that that God uh, has a standard, and we have not met that standard. We rebel against that standard. So we, right at the beginning of this benediction, we learn now to the God of peace. Okay? There is a God of peace. May the God of peace, he is a God that brings peace into our relationship with himself. You know, anytime you have a problem in a relationship, somebody has to take the initiative. And God, the one who's completely innocent in this relationship, has taken the initiative. Why? Because he's the God of peace. That's who he is. That's his nature. He wants to bring us back into a restored relationship with himself. We read
read in Romans chapter 5, 1, how that takes place. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We put our faith in what he's accomplished. We put our faith in his sacrifice to take the punishment and the guilt, to, to take our sin and to make us clean and pure in his sight and to restore us into relationship with him. And Romans 5 goes on to say that it wasn't because we were so smart, it wasn't because we were so good, uh, it's because God took the initiative. Romans 5, 6, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were at war with God. We were hostile to God and we have been brought near and God's made us uh, his sons and daughters. He's brought us into a relationship with him. Uh, Peace has happened through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, people are great blessings. Uh, We've been talking about that in the book of Hebrews. People are even necessary for our growth in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want you to see how important people are to the writer of the book of Hebrews. He concludes the book of Hebrews uh, with this statement. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. We get the impression we're reading somebody's mail here. We don't know exactly who these people are. We've got an idea when it comes to Timothy, uh, but who are these Italian believers? Um, and, and so people are important. Uh, God has blessed us with people. And over the next couple of weeks on Sunday morning, as we think about that which we are rightfully thankful to God for, one of the things that we should thank God for is the people that he has brought into our lives. But having said that, people go away. Sometimes they go away through abandonment or lack of relationship. When I was a middle schooler, I had this conversation in passing with a a friend of mine, a fellow middle schooler who uh, I just uh, had known for a few months, and I happened to mention that he was my best friend, and he said, "I'm, I'm not your best friend. You're not my best friend. I got lots of other friends that are better than you. Well, okay. Uh, People aren't always what they think they are. Sometimes uh, we're separated from people just through the natural course of life. Sometimes our job will take us from one place to another place. We've got folks here that uh, even today in our new members class that have retired here to the area, you leave a group of people and you come here and you meet another group of people. So sometimes that happens naturally. Sometimes, unfortunately, Uh, It happens through death. Uh, Death separates us from people. There are people in this congregation who have uh, had friends for a lifetime and have recently lost them. Uh, And that has been both a blessing, and it hurts so much because it is a blessing to have these people in our lives. But people, because we're fallible and we're mortal, go away. Not Jesus. Jesus is eternal. 
not made the God of peace, he brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ defeated death. Jesus Christ lives forever, and he will always be with you. Jesus is eternal, and what Jesus does, he does for all time now. I mean, wouldn't it be great that all the people that that we knew that had talents and gifts and abilities that that made them so spectacular uh, could last forever? We're celebrating Veterans Day and Veterans Day weekend. We think of uh, all the great people that uh, served uh, the military or engaged in conflicts and wars and, and people that have just served the military uh, uh, just taking, taking the risk and uh, sacrificing for us. I just talked to somebody this week who spent uh, a number of weeks and even months preparing uh, to serve in the military, uh, willing to sacrifice in that way. And it would be wonderful if, if we could just train one group of people and for all eternity, they, they, were, they were the ones that did it. But you know what happens to people, you know you're a pilot, uh, sorry guys, sorry gals, you know at time your, your eyesight you know kind of deteriorates or you've got, you've got a run, it's a good run, but you've got your run and that's how it is in life. Uh, eventually the things that we do, we can't do anymore. You have fantastic cooks and chefs I've been in areas where they, a particular chef is, is, is known for a particular dish and that chef leaves the area or, the, or they go out of business or they even pass away and that, that is lost to that area. Or uh, you have people with gifts in the arts and they, they produce great artwork and uh, wonderful insights and wonderful creativity uh, and when they pass away, that's it. We're left with their work. But but they're gone. Not so with Jesus. What Jesus does lasts forever. Well, what, what's Jesus' vocation? Well, he's a shepherd. We hear in the text, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is a shepherd. And we think of a shepherd as somebody who takes care of fuzzy animals. And that's true. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but also understand this, that when the Bible was written, when the Old Testament was written, a shepherd was also used to describe kings and leaders. So we have the prophets uh, denouncing the leadership in Israel, saying that instead of caring for the flock, so there is that, that, um, that notion of caring and concern, instead of caring for the flock, you're fleecing the flock. You might uh, know the account of King David. King David is thought of as a fairly uh, good king, and David was a shepherd boy, so he was literally a shepherd, and then he became a shepherd king. And the prophet Nathan came to David because David had sinned with Bathsheba, and then David had taken Bathsheba's husband, placed him on the front lines, the heat of battle, that he would be killed by enemy fire, and then he, after uh, her husband's death, married Bathsheba. So we read this account in Second Samuel. And the Lord sent to Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. 
and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord of God, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. David, in this instance, was not a good shepherd. But there is one who is a good shepherd. Jesus Christ said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me. He guides me. He is with me. We find him called here at the end of the book of Hebrews, the great shepherd. Jesus has been called the great high priest. And now he's called the great shepherd who cares for the sheep. He's caring, he's close, he's protecting, he's the present one. And we entered into a relationship with God through what we have turned here by the blood of the eternal covenant. A covenant is a bond that brings two people or two parties together, a bond in blood. And in most cases in the Old Testament, that bond was through the blood of a sacrificial animal. In this case, Jesus Christ himself he was sacrificed. And it is an eternal covenant because he ever lives to intercede for you and me. He is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. We have a great high priest who brings us to God on a moment-by-moment basis because of what he's done. The blood of the covenant that creates a bond that means that God is with you for all eternity. People may come and go, but not God. His relationship with you is forever through the eternal Son of God. Marriages are our most Uh, significant and long-lasting covenant in this life. And sadly, sometimes uh, they don't last. And even the best marriages, the covenant of marriage is broken by death, till death parts us. But not so with our bond with Jesus Christ. It is a covenant that lasts for all eternity. The Bible also describes the bond that we have with God like a mother and a child. It's interesting the particular image that the book of Isaiah uses of that that relationship between mother and child. It's not a mother and a disobedient child. It's not a mother and a back-talking child. It is a mother and a nursing child. 
And we know today with our sophisticated studies that something happens when a, a mother and child are nursing that, that you have neurotransmitters and hormones that kick into gear in the, pro in the process of nursing where the mother uh, has this bond between the child because of oxytocin uh, that is released. And so there's this feel-good bonding that takes place between mother and child. And God himself uses that image of a nursing uh, mother, nursing uh, her child to describe uh, the, the bond of his relationship. And he says in Isaiah 49, 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? He says, could that ever happen? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. So we have a God that is with you forever. And God is with you to do more than just cope. As important as that is, he is here to give you a meaningful life in this world, in this life. Hebrews 13, 21. God equips you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever Amen. Verse 21 says, he equips you with everything good that you may do his will. We have a, a phrase in English, fairly common, uh, slang phrase, uh, I'm good. You know, uh, hey dear, I'm going to the grocery store. Uh, you need anything from the grocery store? No, I'm good. I'm going to hike the uh, Appalachian Trail and go from Georgia to Maine. And I got my checklist. I've got my, uh, my boots, and I've got my special socks, and I've got my layered outfit, and I've got my backpack, and I've got my walking stick, and probably a hundred other items. And I go through that important checklist at the beginning of my walk, and I say, I'm good. I'm ready to go. That's the idea here. He equips you with everything good so that you might do his will and then he goes on to say, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. What is pleasing in his sight? And we read of that in Hebrews 13 earlier. Uh, Dean preached on this last week. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God can go back to the beginning of the chapter where he begins to lay out that which is pleasing to God. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are ministering, who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all. So love here is not sappy sentimentalism. Love is sacrificing because you really care for somebody. And that is pleasing to God as you sacrifice your life like your Savior sacrificed for you. We find that he is the one who's doing it, uh, working in you that which is pleasing. The, the God of all eternity is close to you, so close to you that he is working in you to accomplish his will. He is working in you so that you might be, might do what is pleasing. And as you step out in faith, understand that it is God 
who is working as you work. He is the one who gives you that ability because it comes, we read, through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Not through our own intellectual ability, not through our insight, uh, not through self-help, not through um, working really hard, that we are equipped to do what is pleasing to him through faith and reliance upon our eternal shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life to bring you into an eternal relationship with him. And so we read in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so to whom be glory forever and ever, Hebrews 13.21, the eternal shepherd and God, the Father, is the one who works in you. And so you don't get the glory. You don't get the praise. God gets the praise. Why? Because he's the one who is working in you to give you this meaningful and productive life. And you might think, some of you say, I'm doing fine. I feel great in this life. Uh, But there will be a time, uh, many times, when you will feel like all I can do is put one foot in front of the other. Uh, I can't do anything else. And at that time, it's wonderful to know that you have a God who's promised to be with you no matter what in this world, but that he's also promised that he is going to work in you and through you to be productive for him and for his kingdom and leading a meaningful life. So Hudson Taylor, 19th century missionary to China, said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him. I ended up asking him to do his work through Are you discouraged? How is God working through you right now? What's he doing? He's up to something. How is he spurring you on? And all of this starts with a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So have you had that first step take place in your life? Have you stepped out in faith and said, I know that I am not good with God. I know that I've sinned, and I know I need the forgiveness that can come through Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I'm trusting in what you've done in your perfect life that I couldn't do, and what you've done in taking the penalty for my sins on the cross so that I might be restored into a perfect, eternal relationship with God. That can happen today if it's never happened in your life before. You simply place your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And much of the message of Hebrews is, if this has already happened in your life, why would you be tempted to go back to being alone when you know that forever the God of all creation, the God of eternity, your shepherd cares for you and will always care for you. Alistair Begg is the senior pastor of Parkside Church in Cleveland, and uh, he Uh, in a sermon that he preached it was recorded and and, uh, aired on the radio this week some of you may have heard it he talked about being a freshman at college and he went to bed uh, one night awakened early in the morning by the president of the school knocking on uh, his door and he thought "Uh uh-oh what have I done wrong and uh, maybe this is uh, you know kind of embarrassing to be expelled as a freshman Um, 
but the president came and, and asked his roommate if he would leave the room for a moment, and he said, Alistair, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but last night your mother died of a massive coronary. And Alistair Begg went on to explain, he said, 46 years old, I can't tell you. Some of you have experienced the terror, fear, the emptiness, the loneliness, the anger, everything that just shatters through your body at that moment. Did it get any better at the funeral two weeks later? No. I used to worry about my dad. How would he do with the laundry? I used to worry about my dad as he went to the grocery store every Friday morning on his own. I used to worry about my 15-year-old sister. I used to worry about my 11-year-old sister. And I used to get down on my knees in my room and literally imagine my whole family and say, Lord Jesus, I cannot study. I cannot do my exams. I cannot live my life with this burden on my back. And today, it's yours. And the discipline of 60 seconds of walking through your day and refusing to take back on your shoulders what you just gave over in the quietness of your room. Alistair Begg learned that he was not alone. And you're not alone. And Jesus and the Father is holding on to you. So the message here at the end of the book of Hebrews is not a message of what you are supposed to do, what you're supposed to accomplish, uh, five principles for this. It is a statement, a proclamation. It is a benediction, a good word. Uh, What's a benediction? We end our services most Sundays with a benediction. Uh, A benediction is more than a prayer. It's really a blessing. Most Sundays, I will use what's called the ironic blessing. It's not the ironic blessing. It's the ironic blessing uh, given by Aaron the priest. And it is as if the preacher is laying his hand on each one of you individually and giving you that blessing. It is a pronouncement a pronouncement of God in his word that these things are true for you. And I've been in some churches where the pastor will actually say, uh, now extend your hand and receive the benediction of God. And, uh, and that's good. I don't do that personally because it's not uh, demonstrated anywhere in scripture where you're supposed to command people to do that. But it's certainly consistent with the idea that a benediction is something that you receive from God, God's good word to you. And that's what we have at the end of Hebrews. At the end of Hebrews is the good word of God to you, a proclamation that you have one, a great shepherd who cares for you deeply, that God the Father has provided, and he has brought you into an eternal covenant with himself, and he is working in you to do that which is pleasing in his sight. God is with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank